0: <music> Very
1: Hello. Hello, it's October. It's
2: o- October. Spooky. This is two girls, one ghost. Two
1: girls, one ghost. And we are your ghostesses. That's Corinne. Hello. And I'm Sabrina.
2: And we have some exciting news. Yes, we do. How timely. Our favorite month of the year. And so we have something exciting and spooky to share with you. We've been cooking it up for quite a while with
1: our friends at Spotify. And truly, Chris and I are on our way to becoming full-time podcasters because... That's
2: our... We're manifesting (laughs) it,
1: baby. We're pushing it
2: out into the world. Give it to us, please. Give it to us. But
1: we are going to be hosting a new little, I don't know, show, spooky show called Campfire Stories. And
2: it will be on green room yes so if you don't know what green room is this is different than a normal podcast so we pre-record these that you're listening to now and that is a podcast but on green room this is interactive so it's literally mm-hmm. going to be a live show every other week you're going to be invited to join us like literally talk to us live yes. and tell us your ghost stories so that we can talk about it together
1: so we will be going live every other week for an hour on Tuesday evenings, starting on the best week of the year, it's Halloweek, Halloween week, whatever you want to say, whatever you want to call it, and we are going to do a spooky late night special Halloween week launch on Tuesday, October 26th at 11 p.m. Eastern 8 p.m. Pacific. And after that, in November, we'll move to Tuesdays at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific. It's going to be a Halloweeny hootenanny. We can't wait to hear all of your spooky stories.
2: And just have a great old time. Yeah, this is for all of those people out there that have been like, oh, I've been meaning to write you forever. I've been meaning to to jot down this story or you just haven't really put much thought into the ones that you've experienced Mm -hmm. because you never plan to email us. Maybe this is your time to (sighs) get it together (laughs) and join us. You know what I'm excited for? But I feel like there's
1: so many times when we're recording and it's just you and I in our lonesomes Mm -hmm. in our own little homes. Where we're like, oh, what's that word? Or what's that show? Or what's that thing? And we just don't get an answer until after we're done recording. Or our listeners email us and they're like, how did you not know this? They will be there. You guys can be there and scream at us nicely, please. <laughs> there will be a moderator who, like, you know, gives the, the, like, mic, the mic. The mic. And mic hands the metaphorical to mic
2: to others. But I'm so excited. It's going to be so much fun. I know. And I mean, I think one of the things that happens so much in the encounters episodes and even at the end of our regular episodes Mm -hmm. that we do when we read the listener emails is we speculate so much. And sometimes we have follow-up questions that would – if we got the answer, it would change the course of what we believe this story to be about or this entity or spirit's purpose. Mm -hmm. And I feel like we're going to get some of that extra added context that we miss. Yes. And we also, you know, we're
1: brainstorming fun ideas of how to get everyone else involved. Like we'd love if any of our listeners are mediums and want to come on and do readings or read tarot cards for us and just have this really cool forum of interactive space where we can just like get to know you guys and hang out. Okay. So call to action, download Green Room, get familiar and get ready for more quality time with Corinne and I. Yes. So excited. So excited. So follow us at Campfire Stories on Green Room. If you follow us, you'll get notified that we're going live. So in case you forget.
2: Oh, well, speaking of ghost stories, I don't actually have a ghost story for you. But remember last week I was saying how I was going to a stay in a haunted hotel for uh, yes. a wedding? And then you sent me so, a spooky
1: photo and then went radio silent for the rest of the weekend? Yeah, I remember that.
2: <laughs> I didn't even remember that. Well – in my defense, I was trying to participate in a wedding with a broken foot. So I had some That's some fair. other things. I could barely carry my own cell phone. <laughs> but nothing happened to me. I didn't experience anything crazy. I stayed at Eagle Mountain Resort in Jackson, New Hampshire. It is freaking beautiful. It's only 20 mm-hmm. minutes from where my dad grew up. So I was like, Ooh. oh my gosh. I just felt like very sentimental about the whole thing. And it was, I didn't want to leave. I was like, this just smells better up here. Like everything's better beautiful. And this hotel is <laughs> like old, but it has a lot of charm. Like it kind of smells not like an inn, but kind of like old wood, if that makes sense. Like mm. old woodwork. It's not quite thrift store, antique store, but like old mahogany and rugs, maybe. Ooh. Something like that. Anyway, I googled what happened there, mm-hmm. what the paranormal activity was, because to my knowledge, and I was known as the ghost girl at this wedding. Everywhere in our lives, no one experienced anything because oh, good. I didn't experience it, and I don't think other people were sober enough to recognize if they experienced. Okay, anything. but the hauntings apparently at Eagle Mountain Resort in Jackson, New Hampshire are that there's a little boy who's seen and that there's a woman in a red dress who's seen. Hmm. Or it just said woman in red, so I assumed it was a red dress. And I saw one anecdote posted by someone on a review who said that her family was staying there and she was in a separate room than her brother and in the morning he was really mad at her and he was like, why did you go in my room in the middle of the night and just stand at the end of the bed over (sighs) me? And she was like, oh my God, I never left my room. So presumably it was that woman in red Oh, that is very unsettling. Yes. Wow. Although Brian claims that the reason he couldn't wake me was because I was just really, really tired and had a few drinks. But mind you, I wasn't drunk. But the second night, I fell asleep in all of my clothes. Like, just it was like lights <laughs> out, like, like a light switch happened. Like and the I'm second the you get home, light. you're asleep. Yeah. Yes. The second I like sat on the bed, like in my coat from like the bonfire. But I'm not saying this is paranormal. It could have just been like extreme exhaustion. But normally I'm a light sleeper. And he said he like really shook me and he could not wake me up, which I was like, did you check to make sure I was breathing? Like, what <laughs> was, like something having a, a medical emergency. But I've convinced myself that I was temporarily possessed by that woman. Oh, by a sleeping ghost. Yes. <laughs> they just wanted to feel what it felt like to be in a body again. But they didn't have, know sleep? how to move me around. Mm, mm-hmm. Interesting. That's my theory. Or maybe I was just – I think you were probably just tired. had a few white lines and was tired of lugging around my broken foot in this heavy boot.
1: Long days – Make four sleepy nights. You know, I am glad that that is, I don't acknowledge that as a ghost experience. Sorry, Corinne, but I know. (laughs) I'm just
2: trying to spin it into one because I want, I kind of want one there.
1: No, it's so easy to say after the fact, but I know
2: you and you do not, you would not. Not in my room, but like, you know, late night, we're coming back from all the festivities. We turn the corner and at the end of the hall, I see. The woman turning a corner, you know, like she's far mm. away from me, that sort of experience. You should have just taken a bunch of
1: pictures walking through the hotel. That is maybe my favorite activity is just finding a haunted hotel and like wandering the halls mm-hmm. and and also trying every not hotel room door But, like, you know, like, random closets. You are the haunting.
2: People are going to be like, my handle kept jiggling.
1: It jiggled at 1 (laughs) a.m. No one was in the hallway. I would never try to get into someone's actual room. But, like, their hotels have tons of closets or, like, conference rooms and things like that that I like to try to, like, get into and see (laughs) what's up in there. When I was at the You're an urban
2: explorer. I am. Somewhat of a trespasser.
1: (laughs) No, okay. To be fair – the one time I'm thinking of is when I was staying at the Stanley Hotel in SS mm-hmm. Park. And we – only people who were staying in the hotel were allowed to, like, go up, wander the upstairs and stuff. And so we did, and there was this, like, closet, and I opened it, and there was, like, a full – someone had been sleeping in there. Really? Maybe – I don't know. Maybe it was someone on the staff or – I don't know. Someone took a nap. But there was, like, a pillow set up and, like, blanket. And I got freaked out because it was a very – odd shaped closet it
2: was very harry potter closet-esque there was like a laptop in there yeah i think you found just like this vagrant person's space if you find an unlocked door though and you're like well i don't really want to check out i mean wouldn't you be slightly tempted to yeah to hole Mm -hmm. up in there maybe it depends where i am and also what the situation is
1: Mm -hmm. Mm mm-hmm
2: Maybe someone is trying to find some paranormal activity to write another Stephen (laughs) King-esque book, and they were like, what's the scariest version of this hotel that I can experience? Oh, trespassing and sleeping in this open closet. That's actually a fantastic idea
1: because, okay, I might have to do this. Go (laughs) camp out in a closet in a haunted hotel, try to stay under the radar, and write a novel in the closet. Because what a good story if the novel takes off... And it becomes a big hit. I become the next Stephen King manifesting. And and everyone's like, "Where? what's the story? How did you write this? And I say, well, I camped out in a closet in yada, yada, yada hotel for three months. Ah, two months. Let's give me – I'm a fast writer. In two months. And uh, so went into ins- insanity and produced this.
2: You know what you should do, though? Get each chapter is like progressively – like darker and mm. then it starts to be jumbled and make no sense and then sort of like johnny is a what is it like johnny is a good boy or, or whatever all work whatever. and no play
1: makes johnny a dull boy
2: yes and then it's some version of that at the end Ooh, just gibberish it's just like written in blood <laughs> oh god the sentence just never gets finished it's
1: the, just ooh, a, few words, a literal just, cliffhanger i'm pretty sure there is a novel that ends in the middle of a sentence or multiple novels but I think we're we we are on to something.
2: I think so too. Okay. Well, I'm not sure I'll participate in <laughs> that. Maybe I'll check into an actual hotel room so that I can have a a good night's sleep, check on you sometimes and then keep up with my skincare routine. <laughs>
0: purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts.
1: I'm really excited for this topic cuz I feel like we have not done it in so long I and know. it is very applicable to the times as in spookiness. And season. I just feel
2: like it's kind of our origin story, almost. Kind of, yeah. Like we came out of haunted houses. That's which true. Is what, we are products of haunted houses. Yes, we are. Exactly. Which is what brought us into the paranormal. And it's the classic ghost story that people tell. And mm-hmm. so we, we like to revisit it from time and time again.
1: Yes. And you're first.
2: I am. Alrighty. A beautiful 28-room mansion. Sits on the corner of the street in Knob Hill, district of San Francisco. 28 bedrooms. 20, well, 28 room. 28 room. Okay. As if that's any worse. But I live with two rooms. (laughs) Three if you count the bathroom. (laughs) So, yes, this is a lot. The house was once a place reminiscent of Willy Wonka, at least I picture it that way, because <laughs> the owner, William Westerfeld, was a German-born confectioner, and he owned many bakeries Ooh. in the area. And so I just picture that the streets are surrounding his home and surrounding the bakery smelled of these like sweet pastries and candy creations.
1: And I hope he has like a glass elevator that goes every direction.
2: Oh, gosh, don't you? And then a bunch of Oompa Loompas who are... <laughs> Taking you on a journey through a chocolate river. Yes. But probably not. Twenty room mansion maybe doesn't give enough room for all of the Willy Wonka extraordinary things. That's true. Things. However, I'm sure it smelled great. I'm sure there were plenty of baked goods all and candy always in his place. Or maybe him and his suit smelled of that after he went to work. But Westerfeld... He wanted to build this house in Knob Hill in San Francisco. So he hired this local architect to construct this mansion in 1889. And this included an adjoining rose garden and a carriage house. It was just what? exquisite. And the mansion cost him a whopping $9,985. <gasps> no, So I was like, what the heck is that in today's money? And that's only a quarter of a million dollars, which, even though, which is, it's just wild because inflation, baby. A quarter, yeah. a quarter of a million dollars for this home is what he would have paid. But today, in real life, it's worth over a million dollars. Ugh. Like millions. So he got a steal, obviously. Seriously. I wish I existed back then. Yes. Me well. too debatable well, pros and cons yeah i think for purchasing real estate yes <laughs> for anything else no anything else no
1: all right let's create a show about time travel but it's two diy housemakers who time travel <laughs> back in time just to build their properties <sighs>
2: I love it. Oh, God. That's what we should do if we are ever allowed to time travel, if that ever exists. <laughs> it might exist. We just haven't been blessed with the knowledge and of we it We have yet not. As individuals. Okay. So William Westerfeld, he builds this house. And you might be like, oh, my gosh. Yes, William. What a great way to treat yourself and to celebrate your successful bakeries. But <laughs> he actually built this house with a little bit more of a purpose aside from just giving his family a beautiful home to stay in. He – Was a little bit spiteful, and he wanted to one-up his brother, who also had a very large home in the same Knob Hill district. Uh Oh. So he built this huge mansion, but then to make it even better than his brother's, he also built this tower on top of his gothic mansion that you could walk up to – and at the time, because there weren't many other constructions around, it had an unobstructed view of the entire city of San Francisco. So that is pretty cool. Pretty cool. Pretty priceless. Although apparently it only cost $10,000 back <laughs> then. But unfortunately, Westerfeld did not get to enjoy his home for long because he died six years later. And the house was then purchased by John Mahoney, who was a hotel builder. And John was like, hey, I'm going to make this both sort of devastating and also very compassionate decision to wipe out the Rose Garden, which, gasp, hurt my heart and my soul. Yeah, But in place of it, he built more housing, which was really important because at the time, when we flash forward 10, 15 years from the time that this house was originally built, mm-hmm. the 1906 earthquake displaced a lot of people. So this oh, was his attempt yes to help yes. rebuild the city and provide a few more places for people to call home. That's so, nice. Bravo to him. It
1: would have been very ironic if – what was his name? Westerly? Westerfeld.
2: Westerfeld. If Westerfeld died and then his brother bought the home. <sighs> That would have hurt. I'm sure it would have been more haunted than it is today if that happened. I'll save it for the rewrite. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, man. Rewrite all of the ghost stories to make them <laughs> spookier. Always. So this house, it didn't stay... In anybody's hands for very long. It was very much passed around. It lived many lives, had many owners. So I'm just going to talk through some of the people that lived there and some of the things that happened here. Oh, okay. So in 1928, Russian immigrants purchased the home and they converted the first floor ballroom into a nightclub. Oh my into gosh. A curb, and Whoa. they named it Dark Eyes. And it was quite popular. And they also turned the upper floors into meeting rooms, which attracted a lot of people to the space. It basically contributed to. It being this sort of like community center type place to Mm. bring people together. And this is why it got the informal name, the Russian embassy. So if anyone goes and visits this place or goes on a tour in San Francisco, they'll likely go by it and hear that it was referred to as the Russian embassy informally because, of course, it was not. Right. But it brought a lot of people together. But also in doing that and bringing people together, you always open the door for potential danger to come as well. And that is unfortunately what happened in the 1930s because it's said that a Russian colonel was murdered by gunshot in one of the rooms during a fight with a woman. So already the house was built spitefully and now there's been a murder in the home. Mm-hmm. And then 20 years after that, the space was divvied up once again, and this 28-room mansion is transformed into a 14-unit apartment building. And this building that, you know, originally was built with candy and bakery money – It was now serving the needs of the people in the 40s. So in the 40s in America, they're just coming off of the jazz era. There are a ton of jazz clubs in Knob Hill. It was the jazz destination and there were a lot of musicians. So it attracted a ton of jazz musicians. And pretty much the entire apartment, all 14 units, were taken up by these jazz musicians who rented the units. So I was like, oh my god, that sounds so fun. Like, I think if I had to live there, I'd either live there at this period or in the very beginning because you basically Mm. go from these – from the sweet smells of candy to the the smooth notes of jazz. It's like Frenchman Street. Mm. Yes. Oh, my gosh. And we loved it. It was fun. So fun. So the next person to purchase the home is Charles Frascia. And I probably butchered that last name, but he purchased it in 1965, but he actually never moved in because his wife went and saw it and she was like, I am not living here. We are not moving in with our kids here. This neighborhood, and at the time, it had gotten pretty rough. And she was Mm. like, nope, not doing it. Not safe for our family. So she made the decision to not move in. And so Charles is like, okay, well, what do I do? Let me just rent it out to another group. And so this... Instead of this family moving in, a 50-person commune moved in, led by Kenneth Anger, and he filmed some really dark movies in his lifetime, and some of the short films that he made were actually filmed at the William Westerfeld house, and all included themes of Satanism and the occult. One of the movies was called Invocation of My Demon Brother, and it was filmed (sighs) on site, and it included a cameo by the Church of Satan founder, Anton LaVey. And the satanic carvings shown in the movie in the stairwell are still on the stairs today. And they also carved out this giant pentagram on the top floor, though, when they've been asked about it, the men claim that it was already there when they moved in, though I think that's doubtful. Yeah. But they also held seances in the bathroom. They removed the ceiling of the tower, the tippy top tower that overlooked San Francisco. They removed the ceiling so that they could aid entities into entering their space and call demons down into the home. And not only did they open themselves up to darker energies, but also extraterrestrials, because many <gasps> UFO sightings were reported to come from this house at that time. So I'm not saying that they were abducted or aliens entered the home, but they removed the roof, spent a lot of time looking up, and I think they saw some UFOs.
1: So they were calling for demons, but got aliens. Unless they I are think they one and the same. <laughs>
2: Yeah, unless they're one in the same, we don't know. Okay, so not only is the Church of Satan involved with this guy and this cult at this time, but also Bobby Boussolet is also there. And if you don't recognize his name, he is a murderer, and he was part of the Charles Manson family.
0: Oh. And he was originally
2: asked to come and compose a soundtrack for another movie called Lucifer Rising. Whoa. And he and the director they got into a disagreement. And Bobby took off with the movie reels, gave them to Charles Manson. Charles Manson buried the tapes in the desert and then held them for ransom for $10,000 for their return. Whoa, never knew that story. Yes. And then also Charles Manson would frequent this property. He would go there prior to him going down to LA. He would go there because it was basically this, this cult, this commune of, mm-hmm. of sorts. And he would scope out potential family, quote unquote, because he oh would gosh. call his cult family family members before he- heading down to la so he was trying to figure out who could be his follower who would be susceptible to his teachings his rants his lunatic mind good thing you weren't there corinne <laughs> i know i'd be like charlie free ride to la let's go baby <laughs> no i don't know i'd be like what do you mean i can't leave i might see an alien i gotta no, stay right here for he the would I
1: he would be like I came here looking for followers, but you just found a follower and then you would become oh, the cult leader. and then
2: I take over. Oh, mm-hmm. and then I could have lived in this Willy Wonka house. Exactly. Damn it. Missed opportunities if only I were born 50 years before. Oh, damn. Okay. So then later on, after this group moves on and moves out of this house... A ballroom in the house is used to promote rock concerts, and then this rock-oriented commune called the Family Dog moves in. So there's a lot of communes coming in, a lot of groups using this space it was popular so like band members of the grateful dead became regulars at this mansion because they they just had a lot going on it was a good place to socialize a good place to make connections everybody was big fan and there were also just a lot of characters attracted to this house the house saw a lot there were a lot of acid trips a lot of eccentric people but i would say the most in my heart the most notable guest of this home was Harry Houdini, who (gasps) used one of the top rooms in the house to attempt to send telepathic messages to his wife, who was across the bay. Yes. Okay, can I
1: just say, and Houdini was so successful, and I will not negate that, but you know how often I have wanted to sit and try to telepathically communicate with people, but I just don't have the funding. No one supported
2: me in that journey. How, I just want to spend months doing that. Yeah. I mean, well, here's the thing. I actually have Harry Houdini written down as a potential topic for the future because he was, like, very skeptical. I think he tried to do a lot to prove that it wasn't possible. Mm. He tried to disprove a lot. He was a confusing guy. He tried to dabble in it, but then also he was like, but I think a lot of people are lying and half of this isn't real. I mean, so, I get that. We, I think that it's given – the
1: fact that there's no way to verify mm-hmm. stories like the supernatural or alien and stuff like it is uh, there are times where I
2: like don't believe in it you know yeah especially I was just talking about this with a co-worker actually I feel like I have a strong tendency to believe everything that our listeners share with us or that mm-hmm. like friends share But I am much more skeptical when it's a video that I just happen upon. Right. I I happen upon or like a friend of a friend of a friend. Yes. Same. Trust (laughs) issues. Yeah. Okay. So in the 1970s, two guys, they buy the house. They try to fix it up. Uh, Their renovations, it just didn't go super well. It was a little bit, as the current owner says, it was a bit misguided. (laughs) So Hmm. they didn't do too great. They tried to redo the very top floor. And then I think they basically just gave up. And the house got a little break from renovations and people for a moment. Gotcha. And then current owner, Jim Siegel, he purchased it in 1986. And he has been working for the past few decades to restore it. And he's pretty much finished, but he just continues to upkeep it because it is a lot of work. It's a big Mm -hmm. home. But basically, Jim's story of how he found this house, I just love it. When he was eight years old, he watched an episode of The Addams Family and Mm -hmm. he became obsessed. He was like, oh my gosh, these characters, I love them. They're all so unique. And he also was just super obsessed with the gothic Victorian house that they lived in. He thought it was beautiful. And this was when he was eight years old. So he was just like The Addams Family House, The Addams Family House. Oh my gosh. And then when he's 16 years old. He and his family drive by in the car, drive by the Westerfeld house, and this is the first time he ever sees it. So he looks up at it, and it's this gothic mansion, and he goes, oh, my God, this is the Adams family house. Oh, my gosh. And so he realized that this was basically the closest he was going to get to living in his favorite TV show's home, and he just, like, needed to have it. Whoa. So then flash forward – so this was when he was 16. Flash forward a few more years – He is on an acid trip and he (laughs) sees himself owning this home and he sees in his trip exactly the path that he must take to pursue to get this home and prepare for this home. And so then he does that. He takes that journey, that path that was given to him in this site and he starts a career in real estate development and he begins to build his credibility. And then 10 years into this career, the Westerfeld House goes on auction and this is in 1986. Oh. And he sells his three other properties to afford to bid on this property Stop. and he just barely gets it. But he gets the house. Oh my gosh. This, this house is literally so lucky to have him because if you think of multiple reasons here. If you think of just the, the history and the past of the house, there was so many renovations, so many changes to yeah. the house like it was just it was just used exactly for the purpose of the people at that time with no consideration into the history, no consideration into like the architecture and how special that space was. Right, right. Also at the time, there was this big push, basically. I forget exactly the term, but essentially there was this thing going around, sweeping around San Francisco where they were taking old historical properties and trying to essentially like demo them and restore them but like not really restore them to their own glory but basically like redo them to make modern buildings to take these old decrepit homes that were ugly and eyesores Mm. and instead of bring them back to their own glory and appreciate their history they were just like let's just get rid of them and refill it with things that we want to use now wow which i both get but i'm also like I want them to save these old Victorian mansions. Yeah. And that's what Jim did. He saved it. He saved it. That's amazing.
1: Can I just say, I equally love that story of how he dis- yes. like how he fell in love with the house of the Addams Family. Because when I used to play The Sims, which was all the time growing up until recently, mm-hmm. they had a house that was very similar to the Addams Family house, and they had ghosts at the house. But- a family lived there, so I always would do the cheat code where I could kick them out of their house and have that house as my as my <gasps> own.
2: I don't know the cheat code. Oh, I'm freaking downloading Sims tonight. I don't remember what the code is, but y- you can Google it. Oh, I only knew the cheat code to give me a million dollars to start building.
1: Yes, I did that. I also so you, there's also the cheat genius. code
2: for like you don't have to
1: take care of the person at all, make them go to the bathroom or anything. Their needs are all satisfied always. Which oh, is I didn't the best? I
2: would just let mine die. Yeah, <laughs> they pee their pants, start smelling. Yeah, put them in the pool. Take away the yeah. ladder. You know the classic. classic. Start a fire. Take away the door. Oh, that's so mean! <laughs> you didn't just let them die. You killed them. I actively murdered my sims.
1: You're admitting to a crime. <laughs>
2: A virtual crime. A virtual crime. Oh, I just have a horrible thought. What? You know how everybody's like, this is all just a-
1: Like we are a simulation?
2: Yes. What if we unknowingly, what if the Sims is like peop- the people in the Sims think it's actually their true reality and, and I'm this awful them. person murdering these people. They're like, where'd the ladder go? Oh my gosh. I'm going to download Sims. I'm going to give everybody such good lives and I'm also going to get into that haunted house. Yes. Do it. Oh, um, wow. You were way better at The Sims than I was. <laughs> I need to learn from you. Uh, Better or did I cheat better? Well, you were strategic. That's true. I think that's what you were. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, Jim in this house, it was destined to be love at first sight, Adam's family house. Forget Willy Wonka house. This is the Adam's family house now. So, Jim, he works really hard to restore this home to its original state and worked for many, many years to restore it. Wow. He has rewired the whole thing. He redid the plumbing. He restored all the woodwork. He brought the ballroom back to its own original glory. And he used period wallpaper to bring the authenticity that the space so craved after being My neglected gosh. and abused for so long. I think I'm Jim's biggest fan. You might be. Because here's something super unique about him. Let me tell you a fun fact about Jim that okay. I just really appreciate. You should build Jim's dating profile. You know, I <laughs> so. So part of why Jim was so successful and such the perfect person for this project was that previously he would go with his friend to demolition sites for other Victorians and older homes. And they would scavenge historically accurate materials. So oh he my had this huge collection of molding and mantles and doorknobs. Oh, the doorknobs. Oh, I think I would want to just collect doorknobs now. Now that I'm thinking of it, I'm going to start doing that because that's like. Should we start going to
1: old Victorian home demolitions and scavenge things? Yes, I think Let's share a storage unit.
2: The one challenge we'll have here is that his friend who did this with him worked for a company that did these demolitions. So he was permitted to be on site. Okay, well,
1: one of our listeners has to have some connection, too.
2: Help us out. Yeah. Get us these doorknobs (laughs) and crown molding and fireplace mantles. Oh, I want that. Um, Yes. Okay, so the right guy for the job, super great. You love him. Yes, I love him. (laughs) So Jim, when he moves in, he is obviously thinking about some of the previous tenants who came before him. And it was widely believed that the home was used for seances and satanic rituals. And given that short period of time where there were communes and acid trips and rock music and Mm -hmm. horror movies and people that were not so fond of murderers being in the home, it's quite possible that all of those things happened. Absolutely. And so Jim was like, "Mm hmm. Hell no to this bad energy. And so on his very first day of owning the home, he asks the local Buddhist monks to come and bless the house Whoa. on the very first day. And so they move about the space. They're chanting. They have incense going and they're going from room to room, from the bottom floor all the way up to the top floor up to the tower. And they open the windows and they ask essentially that all spirits are at peace with the world and encourage them to essentially leave if they're, <laughs> if yeah. they're not fair so he's like okay this feels good like paranormal is all the bad paranormal is out energy in here is good thank you monks i can Mm -hmm. now start on restoring this house however there was still a bit of paranormal activity to occur now and again jim hasn't actually seen any spirits himself however he has had one experience in the house he said that one night he was watching tv in bed and his bed began to violently shake and he was like, oh, my gosh, there's an earthquake. It's San Francisco. They're on a yeah. fault line. He was like, oh, earthquake. But then he notices that everything else around him in the room is not shaking. And he's like, oh, well, that's strange. And then he feels someone get into bed with him and realizes that he's not experiencing an earthquake or any old creaking settling of a house. He's experiencing the paranormal. Oh, get into bed with him. Get into bed with him. And I, and he was awake. It wasn't like he was asleep yeah. and like opening his eyes. He was watching TV. He was actively awake. Part time. of me
1: wonders if that's a kid, just because, like, you know how kids like shake you awake in the middle of the night if they need something. Interesting.
2: Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I feel like there's so many bed shaking stories, and I've experienced it. myself, Yeah, you've too, had too. Yeah, to the point where like it just, I don't know, it just. Feels it could be anything. Little, yeah, feels a little sinister. Unless maybe there's yeah. just a spirit who doesn't know how to rein in their energy, and they just like unknowingly sh- vibrate yeah. things around them as they move around. Maybe, but then that makes me think that they're under my bed. <laughs> <It's just scary. laughs> Very. Okay, so Jim experiences that one paranormal occurrence, and mostly he doesn't really notice anything after that. Mm -hmm. But to this day, odd things do occur that other people experience. There are other tenants. There's obviously visitors of the home, people coming in, and there are these unexplained noises. There's knocking. Some people have even Mm -hmm. seen ghostly figures, and other people who've stayed over have said that they have these really dark and disturbing nightmares. And that there's this general feeling of not being alone. And another thing that was noted in a few articles was that some people say the scariest thing about the house is how some people's behavior changes when entering the home. That there's some sort of violent energy that takes hold and gains influence over these people and it leads them to these dark places to practice these dark practices or leading them into addiction. And so the causation of this, I feel like, is up for debate because it's like, are those people somehow drawn into the space or does the space create them? Right. Like, what came first here? But of course, Ghost Adventures, <gasps> our boy Zach Bagans, he visited the house and they picked up some strange noises, some physical forms, some cold drafts. They saw some shit. As they do. As they do. And Jim didn't know what they had actually found in his house until six months later when he watched the show when it aired. <laughs> and when he watched it, he was like, what? And he grabbed a bunch of sage and he goes from room to room copying essentially what the monks did. He goes from room to room all the way up to the tower, opens the windows and encourages all the energies and the spirits to be at peace with to the world. You know what's so funny and I didn't
1: think about it until this very second is – Shows like Ghost Adventures and Zach and these guys come in and their only purpose is basically to aggravate the spirits so they catch them on camera for good television. And then they leave the home, they leave the place (laughs) in this like distressed state of being. There's no like, hey, your place Mm -hmm. is haunted. Let's try to help the spirits cross over or let's do something good. It's like, no, let's make your future living space even more tense and spiritually
2: active. Right. They open up the chapter and they never close it. They never close it. No. Wow. But Jim was smart. And six months later, he was like, oh, I see all these things that are happening. And like other people had been mentioning, other tenants had kind of mentioned something. So he took care of it, cleansed the space, and it hasn't been too active since. But – Residents of the home say activity tends to happen in waves, which I thought was interesting because that's how my childhood home is. It's like, you know, we could have six months of absolutely nothing right. and then three weeks of non-stop activity. Right. So if you're heading by the William Westerfeld house in the Knob Hill neighborhood of San Francisco, you may just get lucky enough to catch my favorite person on earth, Jim, <laughs> on the stairs, who's very excited. When he's outside, when people go by to talk about the history of this home and the experiences people have had in it. And to Jim, he has said that the scariest thing about the house was the modern furniture that was once in it. None of which exists anymore. That's funny. So I believe that perhaps his love of the space and his dedication to this home will be the thing that heals the house. Wow, that's a beautiful sentiment. Yeah, well, now Jim should invite us to the house because I gave him high praise and I love yeah, him. Yeah,
1: that was the only reason someone should
2: invite you over. <laughs> I give you compliment, you invite me you over. You invite me over. This is like the Nick Miller, give you cookie, give you cookie, give you cookie, give me cookie. I don't know what this is. You don't? I oh, don't. know New Girl. I do know New Girl, but I don't remember that. Schmidt gives him a cookie. Nick gives a cookie back to Schmidt. And Schmidt's like, why did you give me the cookie? And Nick is like, because you gave me a cookie. Oh, is that like, when I like to trying to like one me. up each other? Well, Schmidt just meant it as like a kind gesture. But like Nick had to be like basically even and couldn't, yes. couldn't take like. Doesn't take favors from people. Yeah. Couldn't take love that was unrequited. Like or right. had no strings attached. And so he just kind of had a mental breakdown.
1: Oh, that reminds, you know, what? it reminds me of the office episode where. Dwight and Jim, I think it's Dwight and Jim, or maybe it's Dwight and Andy, where it's like Dwight does something for Andy, and then Andy has to do something for Dwight, and it's the whole episode, like, going back and forth of, like, them doing things for each other.
2: Sometimes you just got to be comfortable receiving, baby.
1: Yeah. Well, I received your story very well, and I loved
2: it. (laughs) Thank
1: you. I would love to visit that place. I love that this guy still lives there. And it's no wonder to me that there are so many spirits that have come and gone or people have experienced things because this house has been so many different things, I guess, or it's been home to so many different people Mm -hmm. over the years. And like starting with Westerfield. William Westerfeld. Okay. Wester I get, but the rest is not sticking in my head. (laughs) Westerfeld, like that house was Clearly, there was such an emotional response to creating that house. So mm-hmm. I imagine that if he died within six years of, you know, it being built, he didn't really get to spend the time that he wanted to there. He, of course, would probably have some attachment to it in the afterlife, especially if he was that petty in
2: in this life. He's probably petty in the afterlife, too. Right. And too, I mean, th- someone was murdered there. There yeah. were a lot of weird practices. Just a ton of people coming and going. A ton of unpredictable people and yes. differing energies. And I think it's just like kind of a weird like jambalaya version of, yes. of the space. If I were a ghost and I saw a beautiful old Victorian
1: Adams family looking as cows, I would be like, Yes, I will come haunt that place because yeah. it looks like it should be haunted.
2: Yeah, you don't even need a cheat code when you're a ghost. You can just enter straight into that Sims house. Ugh, dreamy. But I think a benefit for the ghost now is that they'll have Jim for a long time because yes. he said, people are like, oh, are you planning on selling it? Like, it's worth so much money now. Yeah. I don't know what it's worth, but based on how big it is and where it is, I'd probably say, like, oh. Somewhere between like three and ten million dollars, I would assume. Does Jim want to adopt a
1: twenty-eight-year-old daughter? (laughs)
2: Let's ask him. (laughs) I mean, he's young. He's cool. He's. I will happily inherit your home. Yes. Well, he said it's never been about the money. It's about his love of the home, his Adams family home. Well, it wouldn't be
1: about the money for me either, but the house would be just a nice thing to inherit.
2: Right. It's also about the Adams family home here. (laughs) We would love that.
1: I'll tell him about my Sim story.
2: Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I'm ready for your haunted house. My haunted house. I feel like because we're so close to Halloween and I'm just thinking of like Halloween and trick-or-treating, this specific episode of Haunted House makes me feel like I'm about to walk through one. Like this Mm. is the amusement park I'm going through the neighbor's haunted house at the end of the street. Oh my gosh. Okay. So I just
1: went to Not Scary Farm, which is in kind of near Anaheim, California. And it was so fun. I forgot how much fun they are, but like I had this moment in one of the haunted houses where I was like. I'm having a lot of fun, but I'm so terrified of, like, what's going to pop out of every corner, and I know that this is fake, that they can't touch me and can't hurt me, but I'm still terrified and I'm so on edge, which <laughs> in that moment made me realize that, like, if I were in a life or death
2: situation where I was, like, running from a killer or something, like, I don't know how I would do. Do you think you would freeze? Do you think you maybe don't have the flight? You just have to stay in place and panic? I don't
1: know. I, I, I think I just would be so fearful.
2: Yeah. I mean, I hope we you never have to experience I know. that situation. But it is one of those things where I think it's so dependent on like what's happened to you and where you are mm-hmm. and what has happened to you that day in terms of your reaction. Right. Because I think a lot of people surprise themselves in terms of what takes them over in these scary situations. I know.
1: I'm thinking of like a house of wax kind of situation, which like when am I going to be in that situation? I hope never, but – Well, someone snaps your Achilles heel or (gasps) tears you apart in the
2: gas station parking lot, you're not going to be able to do
1: really anything. No. Okay, but as a funny side note about Not Scary Farm, our one friend Lauren was with us, and she was terrified of anyone who would come up to her. And so I started telling the people her name, and I'm not kidding where we would walk around the park and someone would be like, is that Lauren and like start chasing her. And she'd be like, how do you know my name? Like they must have like a channel that they all communicate like girl wearing this sweater. Her name's Lauren scare her because everywhere we went. <laughs> and there was like one point where we had gotten off a ride and we were waiting for Lauren and like a, the second group to get off the ride. Cause they had gone yeah. on the one after us. And We were just taking photos sitting along this like fence and I turned to my right and I see a scary guy kind of just like staring at me with his like chin in his hands Mm -hmm. with like a creepy face. And I go, hello. And he goes, hello. And tries to scare me and I go, wait, okay, my friend Lauren is coming off the ride right now and she is terrified. Will you wait for her and scare her? And he like breaks his character and starts speaking in a British accent, which I was like, oh, wasn't expecting that. (laughs) And he goes... Of course. And, he, and then he is waiting You're for like her.
2: monster meets monster and then you yeah. just communicate normal.
1: <laughs> Let's drop the yuck, bud. So then he's waiting for Lauren and he sees her goes, oh, Lauren, I think I saw her earlier. And then starts chasing her and like is freaking her out. And he goes, <laughs> I'm going to wear your skin like a sheet or something like that. And yeah. I was
2: like, wow, I love this guy. Honestly, that surprises me a little bit about Lauren, her response, because when we were in New Orleans on the ghost tour, she was so intrigued. Not that Lauren. Different Lauren. Oh, a different Lauren. Okay. I was like, she was asking so many questions. The Lauren I was thinking of. Yeah,
1: a different Lauren. But it was hilarious. And then I was like, wait,
2: I'm kind of mean. She was like not having fun with it. But I mean, that's why you go though. I know. Because they're going to chase you. They're going to find the people that are most fearful and they have the – Chainsaw, like i know you and i don't get targeted as much when we're in those places because we're walking around with huge grins on our faces i know and like we're not ear flinching. to ear smiling we're like, yes, laughing bring it on yeah but they go after the people who cower and like step behind other people which is like if you think about it the correct reaction to have our reaction is like <laughs> kind of sick and
1: disturbing because we're also monsters we are okay enough of that and on to 50 Berkeley Square, which is a beautiful four-story townhouse with a basement in the heart of Mayfair Central London, but not all is as it seems because beauty in this story is a mask for some true horrors because 50 Berkeley Square is responsible for the deaths of many Three men are reported to have died of fright in the townhome, and one woman spiraled into insanity only to die the next day. It is essentially the serial killer of haunted homes. It is 50 Berkeley Square. Constructed in 1750 by the architect William Kent, the townhome was home to many prominent figures in political history— It's not quite clear who lived there from 1750 to 1770. I tried to look up like the deed records, but I couldn't find it because anytime you searched 50 Berkeley Square, it was all like haunted or London's most haunted home. Mm -hmm. So I'd have to fly to London and find like the public registrar or something like that. But the prime minister, George Canning, lived at 50 Berkeley Square from 1770 until his death in 1827. Oddly enough, though, George Canning was the shortest serving prime minister in history because he only served for five months, a total of 119 days before catching pneumonia and succumbing to death. So maybe it's just an odd coincidence that he happened to live in a house that went on to take many lives, or I don't know, maybe the house had something to do with it. (laughs) Following Canning's death, Honorable Elizabeth Curzon lived in the home until she died at the age of 91 in 1859. And then, in 1859, a man by the name of Thomas Myers purchased 50 Berkeley Square, and he was set to be wed and bought the home as a gift for his future wife. He basically, before they got married, he decorated the home, got it ready for the two of them to live happily ever after, post-nuptials. He like picked out all this furniture that he thought his future wife would really like, and he put so much thought into it and was truly so excited but unfortunately, he never got his happily ever after because just before the wedding, his soon to be wife broke off the engagement and broke Thomas's heart in doing so. Mm-hmm. So, poor Thomas, having spent all this money on this home, has no choice and no wife and moves into the home and is surrounded by these constant reminders of what could have been. I mean, he put so much thought and time into this home. So Thomas Myers becomes a recluse and cuts himself off from the rest of the world. He began to sleep all day, and then he would wander the house at night, illuminated by a flickering candle. And he was definitely clinically depressed, although that wasn't really a psychiatric care or term back then. But this poor guy spent his whole life in the home. And it was during his residence in the home that the stories of ghostly happenings began to spread. And this is where there's some like unclarity. It's not quite clear who started Mm -hmm. the stories or if because Thomas Myers was like haunting inhabitation of the home, that stories began to spread that weren't necessarily true or what. But based on a few articles, according to Myers, the attic of the townhome was haunted and there was a spirit that haunted it. And there are a few different stories as to who the spirit was. The first story is that of a young woman who lived at 50 Berkeley Square, sometime between 1750 and 1770. And as the story goes, she lived in the home with an abusive uncle who made her life truly horrendous. And one evening after reaching her wit's end with the abuse, the woman climbed up to the attic to the highest point of the home and jumped out of the window and fell to her death. That's one version of the spirit. The second version of the ghost that haunts 50 Berkeley Square's attic is that of a young man who was, for some unknown reason, locked in the attic room and fed only through a hole in the door, which I kind of – when I read this story, it reminded me so much of Madame Lalaurie's house, like the Mm. horrors that were discovered in the attic of her home. And I looked up the timing, and so Thomas Myers is living in this home – in, like, 1859, and Madame Lalaurie's house in this discovery is made in the 1830s, so it's possible that this story, you know, inspired the story of the man in 50 Berkeley Square's attic, who knows, but as the story goes, the man was so poorly treated that he went mad and eventually died of starvation and just insanity. And then the last least commonly believed story of the spirit within the attic is that of a young girl Who was murdered by a sadistic servant. So, again, I think basically the stories of a ghost in the attic started to spread and people started theorizing and coming up with who the ghost could be and what, you know, came up with many different stories. And these are the three that since the 1850s has stayed with the story of the house. Mm -hmm. Who it is, we do not know. But. The spirit in the attic at 50 Berkeley Square was very real and the combination of Myers' depression and the spiritual haunting he was enduring led Thomas Myers to a mental frenzy. And while he had very few friends, townspeople would often see the man roaming the home in the very late hours of the night, guiding his way by candlelight. And occasionally Thomas would look out the windows onto the dark streets and make eye contact with people on the streets with this wild, Look of frenzy in his eyes. As the years passed, Myers and the house grew decrepit together. Myers failed to take care of himself or the home. And even in 1873, Myers was sued by the local council for failing to pay his taxes. But when he didn't appear in court, they sent someone to the house to look at it themselves. And the magistrate was just like, we are going to excuse Thomas Myers of having to pay any of these fees because he is living in a haunted house. <gasps>
2: what? Yeah. Wait, this is kind of reminding me of the bell witch when the like when the authorities went to go intervene and then they were like chased away by the witch. Yeah.
1: Yeah. The ghost is like, no, 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 no. Myers is mine. He must stay in this house. Right. And so I will haunt you. <sighs> At some point, the story of the haunting spread and reached aristocratic society, and it was told over pints in the pub, and the idea of staying in the attic became a bet between men, specifically for one Lord George Littleton, who lost a bet in 1872 and had to spend the night in the attic of 50 Berkeley Square. The one thing that is unclear to me, and I couldn't find anywhere, is the logistics of how And what his connection was to Thomas Myers, like how he ended up staying in the attic of this other man's home and this man who Mm -hmm. was like a recluse and didn't really talk to anyone. So I don't know the logistics, but as the story goes, Lord George Littleton spends the night in the attic at 50 Berkeley Square on a bet. And Lord Littleton is so nervous that he brings a shotgun with him just in case. And as the sun started to set, Lord Littleton starts settling into the attic for the night, But settled is not something he achieved at all. For moments after falling asleep, he is awoken by a brown, smoky mist staring at him. And he is terrified. And he pulls his shotgun out and shoots it multiple times. And poof, the thing mist evaporates. For the rest of the night, Littleton sits upright in his bed, eyes peeled, gun at the ready, waiting if the entity returns. But it did not. And when morning came, the restless Lord Littleton searched for the cartridges he fired, but could not find anything. There were no remnants or evidence of him firing the gun at all. Where did they go? No one knows. Some... Like to rag him that he was just dreaming and he had a nightmare and it never actually happened. Others believe that the spirit made them disappear. Regardless, Lord Littleton fled the home, scared out of his wits, and never returned. But he is one of the most fortunate people to have spent time in the home because others were not so lucky. So two years later in 1874, so Littleton stays in 1872, two years later in 1874, Thomas Myers dies of natural causes, having had spent his entire life a recluse and slowly faded into madness in a haunted house. By the time of his death, the home was in such disrepair that it sat vacant for many years. When he died in his will, he left the house to his sister, but his sister was like, basically took one look at the house and was like, um, I don't want to live here. So she kept it but then lived in the comfort of the home that she already owned, which was like in great condition and very comfortable. And so because of that, the house is sitting empty for a long time. And so people start breaking into the house. They would sleep there or people, you know, went hunting for the ghosts and trying to experience the story and the haunted reputation just continues to spread. And the decaying facade makes the house have this even more haunted house air about it. In 1876, a newspaper article claimed that the London Association of Spiritualists would like to exorcise the ghost that had supposedly haunted the house for 50 years. I have no idea what happened after that, if they were able to or not. Based on what comes afterwards, I believe that they were not able to, or maybe they unsuccessfully tried to, because at some point after Meyer's death, the home was rented out by a family, and this is sometime before 1879. Again, the timeline's not quite clear. But it's a father and his two teenage daughters who move into the home with a maid. Immediately, the family starts complaining of a musty smell, which they said was reminiscent of animals kept in cages at the zoo. Which doesn't come as a surprise to me, given that the house was not taken care of and left empty for many years. I feel like that's like a must smell that would kind of grow in the home Mm -hmm. when it's empty. So, one weekend... One of the daughter's fiancés, Captain Kentfield, was set to visit the home, and in preparation for his arrival, the maid goes up to the attic to prepare the room for him. She goes up, to-do-do, doing what she usually does. <laughs> <doo-doo-doo>. <laughs> but moments after she steps into the attic, the entire house is filled with the echo of a blood-curdling scream. The family rushes to the attic, terrified for the maid, fearful of what had happened. And they find the maid collapsed on the floor muttering to herself, don't let it touch me. Don't let it touch me. Don't let it touch me. And she was in a state of perplexed shock that she would never come out of. After minutes of trying to get any type of response from the maid aside from don't let it touch me, they call for medical assistance and she continues to mutter to herself and was eventually brought to a mental asylum where she tragically died the next day. And no one knew what she had seen to cause such a fright or what it that she was afraid of touching her was. So even though the family experiences this tragic experience, Captain Kentfield arrives the next day as planned. And even after hearing the tragic story of the maid's death, he decides he will still stay the night in the attic room. So as night came, Captain Kentfield ascended the stairs led by candlelight and settled in for the night. Not 30 minutes had passed before the girls and her father heard terrible screams coming from the attic. As they went to investigate, the screams went silent and bang, a gunshot goes off. They sprint to the attic and were horrified to find Captain Kent Field dead on the floor, his face twisted in horror. Oh, my
2: God. Oh, ooh, the twisted in horror. What is that? It's, it's uh, what is like a... Like it? an open gaping mouth. Yes, what's that movie that that happened? Is it The Ring where they're found in their mouths, like their faces are all twisted? I don't know. I
1: feel like that's a common thing in horror movies.
2: So what happened to this family after the two
1: tragic deaths that occurred in their home is not clear, but the home once again became abandoned. And in 1887, two sailors from HMS Penelope broke into the home to stay the night, but only one came out alive. The other had tripped and fallen to their death as they were trying to flee an angry apparition. As the story goes, told by the surviving sailor, the two men were going to go to bed when they were startled by the sounds of footsteps coming up the stairs to where they had set their beds up in the attic. When the door creaked open, they came face to face with an apparition with a huge gaping mouth. It was shapeless and began to erratically slither around the room chasing the men. The surviving sailor claimed it was the spirit of Thomas Myers, and he was furious. This surviving sailor, when this happened, fled down the stairs to the front of the home to exit onto the street, while his comrade had backed up towards the window of the attic. The man that made it outside ran for help, and when he returned with a police officer, they found the attic window had been smashed, and the other sailor's body had been flung out of it, his body now laying deceased on the pavement below." The heck, this doesn't sound like this sounds like a creature. Well, the gaping mouth reminds me of the captain Kentfield who had died just previously, right. and then also
2: like I don't know, spirits show up in weird shapes. Like
1: I guess that's I true,
2: but like, are these people being flung out of the windows and attacked, or are they fleeing so aggressively that these are the injuries that
1: it could have been fleeing aggressively? The only thing is that we don't know because no one was there to witness it. Right. So. At an unspecific time later, a nobleman apparently wanted to disprove the hauntings at 50 Berkeley Square and decided to spend the night in the attic room. He told the other inhabitants that they should only come up if he rang the bell twice in the night. He told them he would ring it only once to ease his own nerves, but if he rang it twice, it meant he needed help. So, everyone goes to sleep, and the man tries to sleep in the attic, and he lays awake for many hours, feeling quite uneasy So at midnight, he decides to ring the bell just once, which when ignored, like he had asked. But then just moments later, the members of the house start to hear the bell suddenly ring furiously. They rush to the attic where they find the nobleman paralyzed with fear, who succumbed to death a day later, taking the horrors he witnessed to the grave along with him. That story and the one of the maid who was you know, paralyzed by fear and then died later, sometimes are considered the same story that have just been morphed into two. It is unclear. Records are Mm. not clear from this time period. But at some point, 50 Berkeley Square is returned to its former glory. And in the 1930s, the home was purchased by Mags Bros Limited, which is a bookshop. And they based their shop out of the historic home until 2015 when they needed a larger space. I was trying to find out if they currently still own this space, but have their bookshop elsewhere or who currently owns it. And I was having a very difficult time finding the current owners. So I feel
2: like this kind of feels like your dream. Like <laughs> like having a bookstore, just working in some sort of library or bookstore setting. Yeah. And it just happens to be in a very old, historic, like haunted yes. space. But I would never want to go to the attic.
1: <laughs> That's true. According to the Owners of Magsbro, the bookshop, they said that they never experienced the horrors rumored to live in the attic of the home, but a maid who did work there stated that she always felt like something or someone was watching her as she went about her duties in the building. So the question is, did the spirits move on? Did the renovations cause them to leave? Did they perhaps follow someone who had the misfortune of staying there? Or, as some have debated, did the spirits ever exist at all? No one can be certain, as many of the tales and records of the so-called deaths appear tricky to track down, but some have debated the truth of the tales, questioning if perhaps they were a product of a fictional imagination, because during this time, like in the 1800s, there were so many literary writers writing tales of like spiritualism and haunting experiences. So there's some question of, is this the work of great fiction as well? Or if there is truth to the stories, it's hard to know for sure. But as with most Victorian-era ghost stories, they often receive dramatizations throughout the years. But for me, personally, (laughs) I like to believe the home was haunted because, one, that's more fun. And two, there are probably some dramatizations in the mass of stories. But for there to be so many of them, it makes you wonder, where did they come from? Was there one that actually happened and spread? And created more.
2: I don't know, but I I mean, I 100% believe it's haunted. Same. I don't think it's not haunted and there's all these variations of the story. Mm -hmm. Like, there's got to be one original or at least a few things that have contributed to this greater story. This many variations doesn't come out of absolutely nothing. Yeah. I just can't get past the, like, creature and also the black mass. That, I can entirely vision it because it sounds so similar to what, remember my mom was describing the, like black cloud that was oh going through yeah. her room that one time when she first saw the ghost because the ghost dog was running from it scared and it reminded me of that and i'm just like i feel like i empathize with the guy who was shooting at the cloud because it's like yeah what do you do it's the only thing you can think of you're like okay well in my physical space right now this is what i would do if there was a big grizzly bear coming at me so like this is what i'm going to try to do but what is your defense like it's so freaking terrifying when you don't know no how defense. to protect yourself yeah Right. And then did that anger it? And like, is this thing. So, if we talk about the creature that kind of presented itself, the spirit that presented yeah. itself with like the twisted face and the slithering Gaping body. Mouth. Yeah. It's making me wonder if it's kind of like a Stranger Things scenario where it's that big blob that collects the different Ew. expressions or movements <gasps> or, or whatever of those oh that it kills, Oh my gosh. And it uses those things to shock and scare. Isn't that victims. kind
1: of the concept of the creeper from Waverly Hills? It collects souls.
2: Well, it collects the souls, yes. But I think it, I don't think it takes on its, those souls, personalities or movements. I think it is, mm-hmm. it's its own crawling on the walls, sort of. What if that's thing. true? Like, what if there is
1: some like dark entity who like sucks the energy from other spirits and becomes this like amorphous, weird, creepier, m- more powerful,
2: energized being right and then it's like this disjointed movement is even creepier right because it's not this like like the frankenstein ghost (gasps) literally (gasps) oh my gosh it's actually you know what this is reminding me of is in men in black when the alien comes down and wears the human guy's skin and he's trying to move around in it
1: and he like can't
2: yeah there's like no control like super unnatural oh my gosh well okay
1: okay so it's like a combination of all the spirits that ever existed, or anyone who ever died there becomes part of this like Frankenstein ghost monster. And I'm sure, like when they first die, they're still trying to control their own selves. So there's like mm.
2: resistance to the body as it's slithering and moving. Yeah, and maybe then- they never, they never, their spirits never die. It, they just give up. And oh, so if they haven't given up yet, tragic. just along for the ride, if they haven't given up, then that's the movement. That's oh my the fighting see. My question, though, is, granted, I don't know
1: if anyone lives there now, and it was a bookshop for a long time, so where did it go if it existed in the form that we're talking about? Because the maid said that may- maybe so many years of being uninhabited made it lose its power and its energy Mm. and so that's why now it's just like this like lingering feeling of eyes on the back of your neck
2: yeah exactly it's it's now it's reminding me of like hocus pocus like you have to light the black flame candle like there's there's something that needs to be found there's like one (gasps) little trigger that it needs to finally, like, gain strength again to move about. But until then, it's just this, like, wrinkled. Wilted and withered. Yes. It's just this little creature. Like, I picture the old guy from SpongeBob. I don't even know what he is, but he's just, like, this little old thing oh. in a wheelchair. It's like I'm, a little I'm picturing
1: Voldemort when he's, like, in the Goblet mm. of Fire, when mm-hmm. he's basically, like, a sack of bones in, the, yes. in a baby blanket. Hi,
2: Leia. Leia, tell us your theories, girl. Yeah.
1: That's so spooky.
2: It's pretty messed up. Or maybe <laughs> this, whole story. this spirit
1: just wanted a bunch of books its whole life, and when it became a bookshop, it stopped haunting because it had all the books to read. Maybe
2: <laughs> <laughs> this makes me want to write a book of our own now, uh, which we can. Oh my god, yes! I forgot about that. It's called The Old Woman in SpongeBob. I just looked it up. The weird people are calling it that weird raisin grandma from SpongeBob. <laughs> raisin grandma. Yeah, she was
0: scary. Wow.
2: All right, what do you have? Okay, I picked a listener email that I thought had some of the paranormal activity or themes of the William Westerfeld house. Ooh. So I feel like it's a good connection, a good example of these things happening elsewhere in other people's haunted houses. I homes. love it. This is from Ivy, called Haunted Stuffed Animal, Premonitions, and More. Hi, ladies. I love your podcast after just discovering it a few weeks ago. I have an hour and a half commute to work, and listening to your podcast has made the drive so much easier and much more interesting. I have a lot of stories, but I'll try to keep them brief. When I lived in one of my childhood homes in Florida, I would see a man standing in between the door and the wall of the bathroom when I walked past it. Also in that home, I would feel my bed shake, and I think my bed even moved to the middle of the room once after previously being up against the wall. But I don't know if this is a real memory or maybe just something my eight-year-old brain made up. But what I do know is that the bed shaking is something that still continues to this day, and I'm 25 now. My husband can't feel it, but he's one of the heaviest sleepers I've ever met. Or what if it's an experience only she can feel? (sighs) Only she shakes? That's so weird. (sighs) She thinks it's her bed, but it's actually just shaking her body. It's just her? From underneath (gasps) her. Oh, that's even worse. Once I got a little older, I started having incredibly vivid dreams, dreams where I would wake up and I could feel what had happened to me, kissing someone, wind on my face. And later in life, when pregnant with my first child at 21, I had awful, vivid dreams of cutting my own hand off, being kidnapped, etc. cetera. Oh, I could feel these things in my dream. And when I would wake up, I would have this residual pain. And I'm not sure if it was as much paranormal as it was just weird, but I thought that I would include it here. However, when I was around 13, I do remember having a very vivid dream of a ghost having sex with me. I woke up and I had this residual pain. So again, I'm not sure if it's just weird or if it is paranormal, but either way, I've never told anyone about it. When I was pregnant last year with my second child, I noticed I started to get more irritated. I noticed my husband and two and a half year old at the time. We're feeling that way too. My husband and I were both seeing black things out of the corner of our eyes and we would just be in bad moods. I would have assumed that it was because I was pregnant, but it was affecting all of us and it would get better as we left our house. One night we were sleeping and when we woke up in the morning, our blender was sitting up right on the floor, which wouldn't be weird, except it had been on the top of the fridge. It would have had to move to the edge of the fridge, fall and hit our counter and then fall and hit the floor, which would have woken us up But we hadn't heard anything. This continued for about two months until one day my husband had a dream that he was in our son's room at night and he was laying in our son's bed staring at the closet. He said he had this awful feeling and started praying over the room and started moving towards the closet. And once he got there, he woke up. So naturally, I go into our son's room the next day and I was like, okay, what the heck is in here? So I scanned the room and finally I laid eyes on this reindeer stuffed animal that I've never seen before. It was up high on a shelf and near the ceiling and had other stuffed animals. The other stuffed animals were facing forward. This one was facing in the closet. Ooh. My entire body was covered in goosebumps, and I had this really weird feeling about it. I brought my husband in, and I told him about it, and he had the exact same reaction. So we thought maybe it had come from my aunt's house because she has a little girl ghost that lives at her house. But still to this day, we still don't think that she would have attached to the animal and then gone back to my aunt's house. We were just not really sure where this thing came from. So we got rid of it, but after listening to your podcast, I realized that we didn't really do it in the correct way. But <laughs> we haven't had any Activity sense rewind to when I was pregnant with my first child I had dreams that it was going to be a boy and at the time I really wanted a girl but my body was telling me that it was going to be a boy and my body was right when pregnant with my second child I was due the same month as my first which was in May and I kept having these dreams that he would be born early in April but we wouldn't have a crib mattress yet and it was really stressing me out because this dream was recurring and I just knew it was going to happen but no one would listen to me (laughs) Surprise, surprise. I went into labor the day after my baby shower on April 11th that we didn't have a crib Oh my gosh. (laughs) I feel like I'm pretty in tune with certain things, especially people's emotions and feelings. I can read someone very easily, but haven't explored this at all. I have paid attention to it in the past few years, though, and sometimes it really weirds me out. Anyway, thank you for reading if you got this far. I have a lot more stories. Stay spooky, ladies, and see you on the other side. Ivy. Okay, I'm curious. Ivy, did your
1: experiences with this ghost like with the feelings of like hurting yourself and like the ghost having sex with you did those stop once you left the home because i'm so curious if it followed like this ghost followed her and perhaps like the experiences that her and her husband were having and seeing the black things out of the corner of mm-hmm. their eyes and like the nightmares that they were having because it sounds like whatever that entity was a lot of the experiences she was having we in her sleep in quotations because maybe that's how her body processed them similar to how I did with, you know, the experiences I had growing up.
2: Yeah, it's interesting, too, because like the vibration of the bed that followed her.
1: So yeah. that wasn't
2: that wasn't limited to the one house. So something has followed her. Some yeah. sort of experience has continued on to this day. Right. So it is curious, like, which spirits, which entities, which experiences were specific to the place that she was in versus what's kind of scary to say, but, like, what's following her? And
1: what's following her kids now? Like, is it the same thing? I wonder, does yeah. Ivy's kids have experiences? I also wonder with the bed-shaking thing, if it's not related to just one spirit, but anytime a spirit crosses her path, because if she is really in tune and open to emotion and feelings and has like this, you know, sense of kind of deja vu or telling of what's going to happen. Does any time a spirit cross her path, does it cause her to vibrate? Like she's picking up on the vibration of the oh. spirit.
2: Oh, oh, that's so interesting. Like the energy is somehow connected. Because I feel like we've heard of a vibration
1: that spirits have.
2: Right, well, spirits are energy,
1: right? So, I know. yeah,
2: that's really interesting. I feel like you're onto something, Sabrina.
1: I feel like we're <laughs> always on the cusp of something, and yet
2: <laughs> there's no way to verify Where's the breakthrough. That – yeah, that is interesting. I'm also curious about this these stuffed animals because it sounds like there's one reindeer and then there's a bunch of other stuffed animals that are up on this one shelf and only the reindeer is looking out towards the closet. Did the reindeer move itself? Did it move all the other animals to like look away? Like what is the movement here? I still – I don't know. I would still argue that moving stuffed animals and toys possessed – yeah, toys are the scariest of paranormal.
1: And not only does moving the toys, this toy literally never existed in their home before.
2: Mhm. Yeah, how did it get there? They don't know.
1: They don't know. It's like Toy Story.
2: It crawled up.
1: I imagine it's a reindeer, it's like galloping through the woods. <sighs> and like someone is down driving down a street and the little kids in the back seat being like, "Wait, Mommy, what's that?" And then like The thing flops over on the side of the road as if it's not moving. And then the second the car goes past, it
2: gets back up and rides to the house. You know, when I used to work for Ministry of Supply, there was an astronaut suit that was in the – it still is – in their Boston storefront. Mm -hmm. And for April Fool's, COVID hit, so we didn't do it. But for April Uh Fool's, the plan was for me to go into the sink. (gasps) And when kids walked by, I was going to give a little wave and then be really still so that when their parents looked. Oh, my God. And then they believe in the astronaut magic. Can I volunteer to do that? <laughs> I would have been a bad person to do it, though, because I have to pee every 30 seconds. Yeah, you do. <laughs> so oh,
1: that would be so fun.
2: I know, wouldn't it? We'll ask. I know. Okay. People. I would love us. for
1: you to do that. Okay. I have a story from our listener, Kelly, and it is called Demons in the Closet. Hello, lovelies. My name is Kelly, and I am a new listener, but I have been binging y'all since I found your podcast. I'm on Encounters 83, but I'm going backwards because I'm a rebel like that. Honestly, I'm (laughs) glad, Kelly, because you probably wouldn't be here if you started in the beginning. (laughs) I'm enjoying every spine-tingling minute. When you guys said to email you any interesting encounters, I thought, boy, do I have something that might interest you. Back when I was in college, a couple of friends of mine were looking for a new apartment off campus. And I had nothing to do with my life that day, so when offered to join, I accepted. If anything, it would cure my current boredom by doing something slightly less boring. There were three places on the list that day, two apartments and one mother-in-law suite, you know, those smaller versions of houses that are always in the backyard and behind the main house. Well, the first two were as expected, boring, so naturally I didn't have any hope that the last place would be any different, but boy was I wrong. The third place made me wish that I'd stayed in the car like my first instinct told me to. We walked to the back side of the main house where the person told us to meet. We did our short intros, and then they led us to the back house. Everything was bright and green outside, but the house itself just seemed so dull when first walking up to it, like light wouldn't touch it. They opened the door, and the moment I crossed that threshold, something took over. It was like I was there, but I was not there. I had a little voice in my head telling me where to look. The first thing was the closet in the living room. Once you crossed the threshold and turn your head to the right, it was there. I went over to it, and it not only looked wrong, but felt wrong. The door was too heavy and took effort to open, and when I did, the inside of the door had painted over groove marks that looked like scratches. I stood there looking and the voice in my head whispered, not here, keep looking. So I did. I shut the door and wandered into the kitchen. My friend was in there looking because they were big kitchen users and it was the decor that was of the 70s and 80s, the yellowish appliances and counter and backsplash, that kind of deal. The words nothing of interest rang through my mind, so I went towards the hallway and all noises stopped. My friends who were just in the other room were non-existent. I was alone. Something deep inside of me started sending off red alert signals, but my body was not properly responding. I turned left and found a bathroom. I took a step in and stared at the shower that, yes, had a closed curtain. Little images flashed through my head like I'd seen this place before. Even though I hadn't, I ripped it open. Nothing. I expected nothing because I knew this wasn't a horror movie, but my heartbeat was getting faster. The words, closer, but not quite there, rang through my head. I did not want to be here. Where were my friends? Why was I alone? I stepped out of the bathroom and had two options, each with bedrooms at the end. I tried to go left. There was more light over there and I wanted to feel safe, but the voice said no. So I slowly turned my head to the right and my body followed that direction. I'll turn down the hallway. I told myself and go stand by my friends. I passed the hallway entrance. And now that I think about it, I'm not even sure my brain registered that there was a hallway there anymore. I got to the doorway of the bedroom and looked around. There were so many windows with light streaming in, the room should have been so bright. But it wasn't. There was this dim light about it. Something was off, and I heard the words, You should come into the room. And my feet started moving slowly into the room. And that's when I saw the closet, and I became fixated on it. One part of me said, don't look away. The other part was yelling, danger, danger. I started to panic, but I was still walking. Now let me explain. This was not like the first closet where it was shut, and there's a what's behind the door vibe. This one was wide open, and like I'd said before, the room should have been flooded with natural light, but the inside of this closet was darker than night. I was less than eight feet away, and I couldn't see the back of it because my eyes could not cut through this darkness. I heard... You should come into the closet. And I fought so hard in my mind, I knew that if I went in there, something bad was going to happen. I started to cry, trying to slow down or stop walking altogether, and I was finally able to muster out a no out loud, and something loosened for a second. I was able to take a step back, and then one other, and then another. I backed out of the room without taking my eyes off that mass of darkness and felt the walls for the opening of the hallway that led to where the people My friends should be. I found it and slid to the right into the hallway, never taking my eyes off the door. I take one step out of the hallway and almost run into my friend who says, where were you? I was like, what do you mean? I've been right here. And he says, we've been calling your name for like 10 minutes. You didn't hear us? He looked so confused because I should have easily been able to hear them. And I said, no, I didn't hear anything. My panic was about to show as something inside me realized that I was not safe here from the moment I'd walked in And that dark mass, whatever it was, was pure evil. And if I had gotten caught, I'm not sure what would have happened to me. The person who owned the property was talking with my other friend, and I heard them say, let's check out the back part of the house where I had just escaped from. And I said, I'm going to wait outside until you guys are done. I've already seen it. And I brushed past and waited outside, hearing something whisper, wait, as I was about to leave the house. Fuck that, I said to myself, and went almost all the way back to the car, finding a place to stand where only the sun was beating down on me and not a shadow was close enough to touch me. When they came out, one asked me how I liked it, and I told them that if they moved there, I was never going to come over. One of them seemed confused. You didn't like it? I thought it was charming. And I said, have fun with that. You will never see me again. My friend brushed off my response and asked his would-be roommate, going to call him Tim, what do you think, Tim? Tim said, I liked it, but something was just a bit off with that place. It didn't sit right for some reason. And the kitchen was small. It then washed over me that I was the only one who sensed or saw what was in that house. One was completely oblivious, and the other knew something was off but didn't know what. Well, I knew for damn sure. I turned to walk towards the car and reiterated, like I said, if you two move there, I am never coming over. It was nice knowing you while it lasted. (laughs) On the way back to campus they were talking about some of the other apartments they'd seen and I sat in the back quietly looking out the window trying to shake off the adrenaline and panic still coursing through me. I just needed a nap and to cuddle with my stuffed bunny. Even to this day there aren't many people I've told this story to. A visceral feeling of fear and dread washes over me when I do like I'm right back there walking toward that closet and and I have this fear that if I tell it too loudly, it would find me, just waiting behind the next door I open. But I thought it would be okay if I wrote it down and retell it this way and see how I felt after. I'm still sketched out, but it's better than saying it out loud. I'll try again in a few years or if I've had too much wine and it's close enough to Halloween and I want to scare some peeps, whichever happens first. But anyways, I hope you all liked my story. Thank
2: you, Kelly well honestly thank goodness for kelly picking up on these vibes because yeah can you imagine if kelly wasn't there and these people moved in and then she like every these are her friends like every time she's supposed to go over and hang out with them yeah and then on top of that maybe they picked up on weird vibes or maybe they didn't notice anything at all but i'm sure they would have moving in yeah oh my god. 100 they they would have had a horrible year of their life being tortured by these this darkness
1: what terrifies me is that someone else probably moved in there like mm. kelly i truly want to know what the address is and find out if someone lives in that back house because yeah. it sounds like someone probably moved in there and what did they experience someone had to live in that room yes. also it's so confusing because it's almost felt like there were two different voices in her head like one that was like taunting her like Ooh, not there. Like, keep looking. And Mm -hmm. then, like, her internal, like, I need to get out. But, like, something else was operating her. Something else was pushing her towards that closet but making it a game. Like, making her stop in every single room, look at everything. Ooh, not there. Keep looking. Why don't you come into my closet? Like, it's
2: so creepy. Yes, and the duration of the encounter to be that long. It's not just, like, one room where she hears something or notices Mm -hmm. something off. It was exploring the entire place. Yeah. It's so disturbing. So disturbing. <sighs> haunted houses, man. Hard to avoid. Lots of <sighs> us live in them. So many of us. I truly, I
1: when I was trying to find our listener story for this episode, I pulled so many other haunted house stories that I will be reading in encounters coming Good. up. Good.
2: Good. I'm glad.
1: Because there are so many. <laughs> Truly.
2: Oh, it's, it's addicting. That's why we're here. We love ghost stories. We love
1: ghost stories. It can be spooky season all the time.
2: I know. Well, it is. We do this every week. That's true. Round. We
1: take one week off a year.
2: Yes. So please email us your stories, your haunting encounters, your lovely visits from pets and relatives yeah. and, and all the good and all the bad. Send them to us at two girls one ghost podcast at gmail.com.
1: And download Green Room so you can join us on our yes!
2: further spooky adventures.
1: Please do. Please do. You can also support us in many ways. You can buy merch. You can rate and review us on iTunes. I would like new iTunes reviews because the most recent one is terrible and mean. And it says the most the award for the most annoying podcast goes to Two Girls, One Ghost. So oh, someone okay. make me feel good.
2: <laughs> well, we won an award at least.
1: That's true. That's Into true. that. It's like, what are those awards for, like, the worst movies? They do it in California, I think. Spirit Awards? No. Those are oh. good. What are like? God, I what have are no the idea. bad movie awards?
2: I don't want to win a bad award. I want people...
1: The Razzie Awards.
2: Okay. Well...
1: We just got a Razzie. If you
2: don't like us, move on. If you do like us, please r- r- read. Please. <laughs> <laughs> I do. We also have merch. We have social media. We have... Patreon.
1: Mm-hmm. Thank you so much to our editor, Aiden Manning, and the whole team at Upfire Digital. We are so grateful for your expertise in making us sound good. And we
2: will see you on the other side.
0: Very smooth.